Episode 240 of the Read to Lead podcast is brought to you in part by Adagio. Adagio is a classical music streaming service with over 1 million classical tracks. Enjoy a 14-day free trial when you visit readtoleadpodcast.com slash classical. You may not think you know how to sell, and we're removing that from the equation, but every single one of us who goes into business to make an impact, a positive impact on this world, knows innately how to serve. Hello and welcome. Glad you're here. It's the Read to Lead podcast, the podcast dedicated to your personal and your professional growth. My name is Jeff, and I believe that if you desire to achieve true success in business and in life, then intentional and consistent reading is a must. I'm going to help you narrow your reading list. I know it's not going to seem like it at first because you're going to hear interviews with authors and you're going to want to buy everything, but I actually help you narrow your list to pay attention to just specific books. And in those books, I'm going to bring you key insights and the main ideas from the authors of those books, and we'll get that information straight from them. In just a moment, we'll sit down with Farnoosh Brock, who's been here once before. Her brand new book out now is called The Serving Mindset. Stop selling and grow your business. The five mindset shifts you need to know. I'll ask Farnoosh to share about what to do if you're convinced you're not only not good at sales, but hate it. Uh, The great news The Serving Mindset has for introverts why you're probably undercharging for your services and what to do about it, and much, much more. In short, if you have mental hangups when it comes to sales, this is the book for you. Well, back when I was just a wee lad, when I was a guy in college, I studied classical music. In fact, my major was music education. Now, a couple of years in, things took a turn, and I ended up going down a different path. But since I was very, very young, I've always had a love for classical music. If you're a fan and really into it like me, then you need this new app that I have just recently discovered and started using myself. It's called Idagio, I-D-A-G-I-O. And it's a music streaming service that focuses only on classical music. I mean, one of the wonderful things about classical music is one particular piece of music has been recorded and performed by dozens, if not hundreds, of performers. If you want to listen to, say, Beethoven's Ninth, which I love, Adagio lets you compare more than 150 recordings all on one page and filter them even by conductor or by orchestra. Now, one of the things I love to do when I'm working is put on the noise-canceling headphones, connect them to my phone, and listen to music while I'm working. And I'm looking for music that fits a specific mood, maybe peaceful, relaxed, powerful, that sort of thing, or the right music for a certain occasion. Well, Adagio's mood player helps me find just the right piece. Maybe you're just one of those folks who wants to discover more about classical music, but you don't know where to start. Well, Adagio's curated playlists provide the perfect starting point. You can choose from things like composer essentials playlists or slow piano or my personal favorite, French horn. That's what I played in school. If it sounds intriguing to you, do what I did. Give it a try for 14 days. It's absolutely free to do that. And you can sign up for that free trial just by going to read to lead podcast dot com slash classical that's read to lead podcast.com slash classical since i started using it i've seen my productivity increase regardless of your reasons don't miss checking it out while it's free to do so again that free trial 14 days find out more at read to lead podcast.com slash classical 
Farnoosh Brock left her successful career at a Fortune 100 technology corporation and started her own company, Prolific Living Inc., to pursue her life's work through writing, creating, and speaking. Now, Farnoosh's uh, mission is to enable and empower you to achieve your highest possibilities in life through her mindsets, her systems, and methodologies. Uh, she's an expert green juicer. I hear she's into yoga, and she's also a devout world traveler. She last appeared on the podcast way back in April of 2014 on episode 39. Her latest book is called The Serving Mindset, Stop Selling and Grow Your Business. What? That sounds contradictory. Welcome, Farnoosh, to the Read to Lead podcast. <laughs> yes, contradictory indeed, but I can't wait to get into it. Thank you for having me back on your show, Jeff. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, I'm uh, delighted to have you back. I have thoroughly enjoyed uh, the book. I've recommended it to, to a number of, of friends, and a couple of things struck a nerve with me. We'll get into those, uh, no doubt, but it's a book that I think that anyone who needs to grow their business <laughs> needs to read, and I think that's pretty much Pretty much everybody. So, so Farnoosh starts uh, the book, you know, saying that that problem of really getting past selling something a lot of us hate is because of our thinking. It's the way we think about selling is is the problem. So, why Farnoosh? For most of us, do we seem to hate selling? Right. Great question. And I was in that camp. Well, um, I think that it's because of the way society has given this uh, this impression to selling, the stigma around selling. Mm. And um, there is this separation that I would uh, note in both my engineering school days and working with a lot of technical people over the years that they want to separate themselves from those who sell because that is not a prestigious thing to do. That is not a good thing to do. That is the evil in the business. That is the X, Y, Z. You know, it's just not as prestigious as, say, being a problem solver or being strategic leadership role, what have you. And so over the years, as you grow up, you have you hear this stigma. I know even people who have business owner parents uh, because society gives it or society in the circles that you may run may give sales that stigma. You have that in your subconscious and then you come into business and you realize if you are to run a profitable business, you need to sell to stay in business. Very simple. We all buy into that. But then we have to make some compromises, we think. And we're going to talk about how I don't believe you do to where you need to sell in order to stay in business. And yet it doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel aligned to maybe your values of integrity, what have you. And it becomes this this inner conflict, which is not conducive to your most successful self, if you will. Now, as a former uh, car salesman, I know all about the stigma that is associated <laughs> with selling. <laughs> Let me just say that. Much. You are the stigma. Your <laughs> old self was the stigma. <laughs> That's right. Well, well, certainly Carol Dweck is is known for uh, her work on the topic of mindset. And I, I like that Farnoosh's book applies concepts of mindset and abundance versus scarcity specifically to sales. Uh, and talk about what you've learned, Farnoosh, in your career about mindset and abundance versus scarcity as it relates to, to sales specifically. Yeah. So as it relates to sales specifically, and, and a lot of what I learned was a surprise and it did not make logical sense mm. at first. So I learned that how I see my problems affects 
the outcomes I create. So mm. if I look at it from that scarcity mindset you talked about, and a really good example I have with scarcity mindset is, let's say you are on the phone with a prospect and a prospect is someone who has yet to buy from you. They may never buy from you, but they're not yet a paying customer or client. You're on the phone with this prospect. And if you come from a scarcity mindset, and by the way, all of this is changeable, but if your nature is a scarcity mindset at that time, you probably think, this is maybe the only person I'm going to talk with this week or in the near future. And there isn't a number of other prospects out there. So I need to close this deal. I really need this client. And you feel that uh, very few people are out there to, to you know benefit from your services. So it creates this anxiety. And the op- opposite of that is you're on the phone with the prospect and you believe, it's a fact in your mind, you believe there are hundreds of others out there who are willing to work with you, who need your help. And so whether or not this person comes through is irrelevant. You focus on helping them. That is the abundance mindset. And that difference You may not think that changes much because you're still on the phone. You're having a conversation. It doesn't seem to change your skills, but it changes how you show up, what you say, the tone of voice you have, the the presence you bring, the confidence you carry with yourself. And that has a direct impact on the person with whom you are hoping to connect. Mm. So that's what I've learned, you know, um, and it's been uh, over the course of a number of years, Jeff, but I learned that I really need need to believe that, first of all, there are many, many people out there who can use my services, but that's not everyone. And that the first thing, the only thing I really need to ask myself and to do is whether I can genuinely be of service to the person with whom I am speaking at this moment. And Farnoosh unpacks these five different mindsets throughout the course of the book. And the one she's hinting at now is essentially, if I'm picking up what you're putting down, Farnoosh, as they say, uh, is, is mindset number one. It's all about serving. It's, it's not about selling. And when we can make that seemingly subtle shift, it makes a huge difference. It does. Yeah, the first mindset. So if you take nothing else away from this podcast, I hope you remember this phrase, I am not selling, I am serving. And even if you just tell yourself that and don't read anything else, you know, this is what I believe, you know how to serve. You may not think you know how to sell and we're removing that from the equation, but every single one of us who goes into business to make an impact, a positive impact on this world knows innately how to serve. So if you remind yourself of that, that alone will change the way you show up. You'll be more relaxed, more confident. You will be more attractive to the person who is seeking your help. Is that what you mean when you get into mindset two and talk about enabling our new identity to emerge? Not quite. The mindsets build on each other. So I can comment on that one. Mm -hmm. Um, The second one is where, um, let's say that you you went to school for architecture or engineering. I use those examples because I'm very familiar with those types Mm -hmm. of curriculums. And you become, in your mind, that identity. I am an engineer. I am an architect. And you do that work in your field for a number of years. And so if you then decide to go into business, you may continue to see yourself as an architect and only as an architect, which then makes it a little bit of a dilemma when you look at the other roles you need to play in your business, such as 
selling your services. And so the expanding your identity talks about how you can be more than one thing. There are multitudes of skills and identities that you can adopt. And in fact, you need to in order to survive and thrive. And also that it is okay. You are not compromising on that architect identity when you become a masterful communicator and connector in order to serve people, for instance. Thank you for that clarification. I realize I read that chapter about two weeks ago, and it's all coming back to me now. So I appreciate that. <laughs> it's all coming back to you now, like that song, right? Yeah, right, right. <laughs> well, well Farnish, what would you say to somebody who says, you know, this is all great, but I'm shy. I'm an introvert. I'm, I'm this. I'm that. How would you re- respond? Oh, I love my introvert clients. I just have to say that they they make the best clients. And I would say, with all due respect, so what? (laughs) So what? You're an introvert. You're shy. What am I asking you to do that is uh, violating that state of being? Mm. Because you need to stay who you are. There is no need to become an extrovert in order to have these conversations. you, You can continue being who you are and And when you remove this agenda of selling, which I think is actually appeals to my introvert readers because Mm. we don't want that. (laughs) And, And you go back to what you know best, which is how to help people, how to be of service. Then you, um, uh, you know, you're doing what you need to do. Now we do talk about a framework within which to serve. Mm. So there is an element of over compassion and over giving that we may subscribe to when we first start our business. Uh, my husband phrased it as giving away the farm, (laughs) uh, uh, don't give the farm away, right? Um, and, and you know, it, it comes from a good place. We want to be of help and help everyone. And so we give of our time and then it depletes us. So the framework I talk about in the book, it puts some boundaries around your time and energy and what you are willing and what is sensible to invest in your prospects, given your business model mm. versus mine versus Jeff's, for instance. And how do you honor that as well as honor the serving? So what may be missing from the introvert shy listener is, okay, you don't have to change. You can stay exactly how you are, but perhaps a little structure and framework around how you show up, what time of energy are you allocating, and then how to navigate that conversation, that serving conversation, because you still need to lead. Even as a quiet leader, Hmm. even as a shy leader, you are in charge of those conversations because you need to be the leader, the guidance in the prospecting conversations, if that makes sense. Mm, Yeah, and that's good news for introverts everywhere, for sure. Uh, You know, a big hang up for a lot of people, Farnoosh, including a friend of mine that I was talking to about this yesterday, is what to charge for our services. And and for many, a lot of folks I talk to, they're devaluing their worth by way undercharging. I was a victim of this at one point. I don't think I am anymore, but still... It, it, it can be a struggle depending on the scenario. What, what are some of the limiting beliefs you tend to see related to this area specifically? Yeah, this is a really personal one. I find that, and, and I we, we've certainly all been there. We start somewhere and and we start at, usually at the bottom, uh, but uh, but then you, you realize, oh, you know, based on the 
outcomes I created for that person. So you look at your direct past experience. You don't have to believe anything I say. Just look at your direct past experience. Unless this is your first day in your business where, Mm. congratulations, but this may not apply. (laughs) You look to see, okay, I had 10 clients last year. What outcomes did did you create for them? What is the value of that outcome? What is the impact Mm. of that outcome to the best of your knowledge, to their business, to their career, to their lives? And then based on that, and your time and energy, even though that's not a direct way to, to price yourself, I usually like to think of that as, as, a, as, a, as a variable. And I can, I can comment on that. But basically, the outcomes you create and then what you charge, because they should be directly proportional. So for instance, if I am helping you get a promotion and a raise and an average promotion in the corporate world, the technology world, let's say $10,000 extra a year, if I help you do that with a few conversations and skills, and you make $10,000 extra a year for the next five years, that's fifty thousand dollars, not to mention the intangibles I helped you accomplish, confidence, leadership skills, communication, understanding your self-worth, et cetera, et cetera, which continue to pay. Now, if I charge you $275 for that, I am not only undercharging myself, Jeff, you won't take me seriously enough to hire me. So that's an extreme example to prove my point. And I can go on and on about this one. So tell me where you want to take this. Well, you, you make an excellent point. The friend I referenced a moment that I was just talking to yesterday lost business, major business to the tune of you know ten to twenty thousand dollars a month because they didn't take her prices seriously. They thought she can't possibly be any good yes. because of what she's charging. She thought, "Well, oh, I'm going to go and I'm going to give them a great deal, and they're going to they're going to hire me on the no. spot." And the opposite happened. Yes, yes, this is exactly one of the examples I use with a, a yoga teacher. Actually, is in the book, and yes, exactly, the person who was vastly wealthy and and willing to work with her didn't take her seriously because how can you be so good if you're charging so little? So it's a tough lesson, but this is where the counterintuitive side of things comes in, right? You think you're helping, you think you're giving them a discount, a good deal, but you have to think about the caliber of clients you are hoping to attract. Those people need to see your investment levels aligned to what you're offering. And if it's too little, exactly what you said Mm. will happen. So tough lesson. Yeah. Yeah. As I've raised my prices over the years, I have seen exactly what you just said transpire. The clients that I work with are clients that I enjoy working with more than than in the past. They are people who are serious about what we're here to do. I don't have many of the the hangups or red flags that come along later with clients from the past and I charged far less. But now after having read your book, I'm looking at it going, well, if I'm really looking at this truthfully and transparently, I'm probably still charging too little. <laughs> sure. And you know, you're the boss, you run your business, you can charge more. You can charge whatever you want. I think that the measure is, are you thrilled with what you're charging? And we mm. need to be thrilled. Yeah. Because if you're not thrilled, something is missing. And some people are thrilled with far less. Some people aren't ever thrilled. And so I think we need to realize that that personal factor comes in as well. So if something's missing for you, maybe it is time to adjust. One other point I wanted to make about the pricing is, um, and I never call it pricing. I I really talk about the language that you use with respect to this. I never call it the cost of working with you, the prices of your programs. Always, if you believe this, always call it an investment. And the belief is when I put some money forth, I get more out of it. So it's an investment. The return on investment is a net 
positive. And so the investment of working with you. And when you start using that phrase, you will immediately feel more confident. And then the last point I'm going to make on this is if you simply raise your prices, let's say after this call, you're inspired to raise your prices, you double your prices, which is great. But if you have a doubt in your mind, is anybody going to sign up? Am I really worth this? Who's going to pay for this this much to me? If, if you have those doubts, it's really hard to help someone else believe that because you need to have that piece of the conversation in a way that is very, very comfortable and confident for you. So you need to be 100% certain that you are more than worth what you want to charge. And I talk about that in the book and I talk about, you know, kind of navigating that part of the conversation so that you appear genuine because you are. And then people are, if if it's a right fit, they are more than willing to make that investment. And you would be surprised how much these subtle things can impact the results of those conversations. You know, when I, when I first started doing what I'm doing now about four plus years ago, I never thought that I would, it's funny when I say it out loud, that I mm-hmm. would like say no to someone who wants to work with me. But I've found myself doing that a number of times over the last uh, four yeah. years. Maybe it's somebody wanting to negotiate price or they want me to make some other form of, of a concession or I have, I have a gut feeling that this just doesn't yep. you know, seem right. And I've never regretted saying no. I, I've never gone back and said, gee, I, I should have, I should have worked with that person. It's never been the case. Yes, yes. And that is the true test of serving. Because if you're willing to turn away a client who's not 100% fit for you, or you for them, which I did this past week with one of my past clients, Mm -hmm. then you are serving, you are truly coming from a place of what is in their best interest, without compromising your own best interest. So bravo to you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, something you said a moment ago reminded me of the story of a friend you tell in the book, where during the course of of serving, maybe that's during that initial get acquainted call with a prospect. He was very energetic and effervescent might be the right word. But then when the conversation shifted to how much is this all going to cost? What's the investment or price or whatever word you use? Let's hope you use investment. Yeah. Uh, his demeanor without him realizing it kind of changed. His energy yes. level dropped and it took a while for him to realize that it was that drop in energy that he wasn't even aware of that was causing him to lose some sales. Sure, absolutely. I mean, your enthusiasm, if if you're the kind of enthusiastic person and you have that your entire conversation, you know, just imagine if I just change my tone of voice right now and I just go completely, you know, flat while Mm -hmm. I'm having the conversation with Jeff. It will show that I have no interest, maybe that something's not right, that I am not being genuine. Absolutely. Your tone of voice carries everything. And that's because he had discomfort around his own pricing. It was awkward for him. He didn't fully believe he is worth that investment. And there is no way you can bring someone else on board and and have them make that investment easily if if you don't believe that. And it takes an outsider to come in and say, you know what, you're doing all these great things, but you're sabotaging yourself in this piece of the conversation (laughs) after all your hard work. So please stop doing that. (laughs) (laughs) I have had some clients who I've really enjoyed working with who've hired me, who have had a great experience themselves, who at the end of, of our time together have told me, you know, I would have paid 
paid a lot more for this. Uh, you're you're uh-huh. you're not charging enough. Thanks for charging me what you did, but next time charge more. <laughs> you know? Yes, exactly, exactly. In fact, I've done that with like people. I get services from around town, like massage therapists, what have you. And then I come home, and Andy's like, they've raised their prices again because of you. Because <laughs> I go tell them you're not charging anyone enough, and of course I'll end up paying more. But but I know what you mean. Too funny. <laughs> but but a lot of that too is I mean psychologically we often feel better about spending more, don't we? I mean, isn't uh, yes. doesn't the research show that? Yes, it's not just feeling better. I find that there is a different level of commitment. You know, there is this crazy statistic they did with uh, Tony Robbins programs. It's like a $97 program and, and people order it, but there's like 90 plus percent of people who order that. Maybe it was $1,000. It was, it was not a cheap program. They don't even open the package. Mm. And so it goes to show you that, you know, it needs to be at a certain level. And I think it's maybe over $5,000. Well, people really start taking it seriously. They're making that investment. And so they are going to be inspired to take action and to show up to their calls. I mean, for me, even if I buy a $37 program, I mean, I'm so committed. I do it. But every time I talk about pricing or investment levels, I want to make sure I make this point. You are not just raising your prices for the sake of charging more. Like, I really want you to think about the alignment to outcomes. Even though we joked about raising prices, I think if you think about the energy you put forth and the outcomes you create and the value of those outcomes, it just needs to be aligned. So that's really uh, the the measure, the true measure. And so if you're going to look at where your prices are, just keep that in mind and ask yourself or get feedback from your clients like Jeff did, which is invaluable. Mm. And something you said reminded me of what my friend Michael Hyatt always says is when we don't pay, we don't pay attention. (laughs) Ah, I like that. I might steal that. (laughs) I've spent some time in sales uh, before I started working for myself in sort of traditional sales. I mentioned car sales. I was in radio sales for a while. And I think uh, one of the things I struggled with a lot was handling objections. I'd be curious to know, Farnoosh, what you've learned when it comes to handling not only voiced, but unvoiced objections. Yes. I talk about those. I'm so glad you brought this one up. Uh, The objection, I define it as, let's say you have had the conversation with the prospect. You both feel comfortable to move forward. You've asked permission. You've put a proposal forth. And then they say, you know, Jeff, I I really think you can help me. I really like what you have to offer, but I can't afford it. Or I just don't think it's the right time. And that is an objection. Most of us turn that into a rejection. And either we shy away from going any further. We immediately agree with the person and we want to wrap up the conversation. Few of us, I find, including myself until I worked with my fabulous business coach, few of us see the objection as a huge opportunity. Mm. So first of all, the objection comes because people have a level of interest in you. It is good, especially the voiced objection. The voiced objection means they actually voiced their opinion. (laughs) And so when you get that, you need to tell yourself, oh, they are interested but they have an objection. This is not about you. This is all about them. Your job at that point is to probe and go deeper Mm. because the objection is often not the absolute or the whole truth. So if I tell him it's outside of my budget, often that phrase, which is very common, and it's an an excuse that we all give (laughs) people. 
like, okay, that's that, that's the card you pulled out. I know that card. I get it. Mm. Sometimes it's true affordability. Yes, but often it is not. And so your job is, yes, you agree. Yes, you empathize, but you go deeper. Tell me more. What makes you say that? I'd love to hear what about the investment is a risk to you or seems like a risk. Or what about the timing is not right? Ask open-ended questions. Invite them to tell you more. It's an opportunity because it builds deeper trust because very few people go there. <laughs> and I can get into the unvoiced objections too. And that's when every somebody has spent the time with you. They seem interested. They seem attentive and listening. And you feel like you have made a connection. And then they just tell you everything's great, but I'm going to just go and think about it. Right. They don't make an objection. They may have objections. They often do. And if you want to take a bold step, which I recommend, you can seek objections. Objections, request <laughs> objections. And we talk about phrases to use in the book to where you can do that very delicately. And yet you you do it, right? You don't basically let them off the hook without telling you a little bit more. And you've earned that much, right? We've, we've invested an hour with this person. We felt we made a good connection. And those are the things you would say. And yet you didn't ask me any questions. You didn't make any comments. Would you like to share anything that's on your mind? What if any questions? might you have? I am happy to answer questions. And and those are huge opportunities for building trust, for going deeper. Sometimes people tell you things that are so unrelated. And, 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 you know, one of the things that's very vulnerable that they share is they don't believe in themselves. So they think you are good at what you do, but you are not the person that can help them because they don't think they're capable of doing whatever it is they're going to do. And that's your opportunity to maybe coach, consult, guide, mentor, whatever it is that you do and showcase your skills and be of genuine service in that moment. I think one of the things I learned from reading this book is back in the day, I used to kind of think of, you know, objections were something that if I probed deeper, if I went further, I was just going to upset them. You know, they've said no in one way or another, and and, and I'm going to seem pushy and all that. But the way you've framed it, when you come at it from a desire to serve, uh, whether it's ultimately yes. to serve them or to serve the next client better, that to me changes everything. Sure. I mean, if, if I were to say, what's wrong with you? I'm obviously brilliant and you need this help. Yes, you can insult them. But if you if you really care and you are genuine and you are curious about them and and sometimes people are skeptical because they've, they haven't had this kind of treatment. They are used to getting a pushy sales on them at that point in time. And so if you are genuinely interested in what it is that would help them in that moment. We, we talk about phrases and words that you can use that will help people open up to you, tell you more, which is great information for you. Because let's say they talk about a fear they have in, in investing that much in themselves, which means they may not think they're worth that or they don't have the spousal support to make that financial investment. That tells you a lot in how you can support them, in in what else you can recommend to them, in what steps they can take on their own to overcome that limiting belief before overcoming other challenges they have. I mean, that becomes an opportunity right there. I would challenge you to rise to that opportunity for yourself. It's a little bit awkward at first if you've never done it, but 
let it be awkward. <laughs> step into the awkward moment. I mean, we shy away from awkward, but what if we just step into it and just be there with them? Just just hold the space, listen and hear them. You don't have to know what to say because it will come to you, but challenge them to tell you a little bit more. I have found that when uh, I attempt to live every day in my comfort zone, there's not a whole lot of exciting things that happen. <laughs> when I get outside the comfort zone, allow myself to be a little bit uncomfortable, that's where the magic is, right? Sure, sure. You discover what you don't know because it's outside. You know what's here. <laughs> we like it, but here's the thing. If you are not thrilled with the results you're creating, you need to make some changes. Mm. And the changes are outside that comfort zone that Jeff's talking about. So it really depends on your level of desire. It is very little to lose here. <laughs> a huge learning opportunity as well. So why not go for it? Absolutely. Well, before I get to a couple of questions not directly related to the book, Furnish, uh, I, I want to ask if there's anything else from the book you want to make sure we know. You know, one thing I'm really passionate about is changing the way we have sales conversations in uh, in business because sales is something that like we, we know we, it needs to happen for you to have a profitable, sustainable business. And so I would love for you to challenge yourself to take pride in how you have conversations. Like it's not something you shy away from. It's not something you try to avoid and make it something that you are proud. Serving can be something you can be so proud of. And, and it makes the rest of your business effortless. It's not going to be easy, but it will be more effortless. You will create a flow. And so I would just want you to be proud of the way you have these conversations. And coming from a place of serving has shown me that is, is, is the way that we can make that happen. So I hope that you take us up on that challenge. Farnish, I want you to think about the books you've read since, particularly since we last spoke about four or so years ago. What book or books in that time frame have stuck with you, have maybe left an impression on you that uh, is still there today? Do we have another hour? <laughs> so many books. I love, love books. I would say The Prosperous Coach by Rich Litvin and Steve Chandler was pivotal. And also The Coaching Habit by Michael Bungestanie, who is a great friend who did the foreword for our book. Brilliant book and not just for corporate managers. On Writing by Stephen King. If you're going to do any writing, especially book writing, I think it's beyond inspirational. And you need to listen to the audiobook because Mr. King narrates it for us. Um, anything by Stephen Pressfield. In fact, everything by Stephen Pressfield. If you feel any kind of resistance in doing your great work in the world. And I just read in one afternoon, Steal Like an Artist by, gosh, who was it? Mc McLeod, I believe is the last name. I think it's Austin Cleon, I believe. Thank you. Austin Cleon. Uh, okay, <laughs> that's it. And that that was a great read. And, and anything by Brené Brown. Mm. But again, it really comes down to your style and what appeals to you. If you're more academic and scientific, you need to talk to my friend, Jen Gresham. She recommends these books to me. And I'm like, oh, so much data. I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> so I like the poetry and philosophy of business. And so it depends what appeals to you. But I feel confident those books are all fabulous. As, as you uh, over the last few years have done more and more uh, speaking and taking advantage of more opportunities to, to get in front of groups and conferences and consulting, etc., I would be interested to know what are some tips you would be willing to share for those wanting to get better at that, for delivering a talk that's memorable and, and impactful? What, what would you say? 
Yeah, my, my apprentice who just finished with me, she was a big speaker, a keynote speaker, uh, very young as well. And so we, we worked on that quite a bit. I would say apply the serving mindset. Okay, bring the serving mindset to your speaking. When you make speaking about yourself, the spotlight is on you, literally. And so um, remove that spotlight and put it on a single member of your audience. And that way you are serving them. You are there to help them. It's not about you. So if you make a fool of yourself and, 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 you know, botch a joke, which I normally do. So I stay away (laughs) from jokes then. Um, okay, fine. But was it really about you? Mm. No. If in the end that person walked out of that room with something to remember because of you, you have done your job. Mm. And so removing that spotlight, and this is great news for our introvert listeners, isn't it? (laughs) It's not on you. It's not about you. But then again, you are the vehicle which delivers that. So you are certainly participating in the process. And and again, having that mental shift. It's not about me. I'm here for them. Let me see what I can do to help this person today. Let me see what I can say, what story I can share, what tone of voice I can bring, what enthusiasm I can give so that my point hits home. If I make it simple and simple means who can I help today? Mm. It's not about me. It's about them. Then it just makes me relax and I can focus and, you know, oxygen can go to my brain so I can think (laughs) and speak intellectually. So I hope that's helpful. Uh, Very, very helpful. Thank you. Well, beyond the book, uh, Farnoosh, if you know the answer to this uh, question, uh, what is what is ahead for you in, in your team? So um, so we also wrote, by we, I mean my husband and I, we also wrote another health book at the same time that we were writing the serving book. And so that comes out in the spring. And, and I, I'm a huge advocate of taking care of ourselves. We're also, you know, really paying attention to our fitness. We just came back from Canada. Canada has a great film festival in September. Mm. Every year you should go. Uh, we don't have any trips planned. Jeff, my husband is really big into playing golf these days and uh, mm-hmm. I'm enjoying being home. And um, I just, you know, I mean, I'm looking forward to the little things, honestly, getting fit, uh, fall, holidays, family time, reading more and getting this um, this message on board with, uh, with people who are willing to take it on. Mm. <laughs> Well, speaking of which, uh, Farnoosh has also written books like the Healthy Smoothie Bible, the Healthy uh, Juicers Bible, and and a number of others. Uh, This was a real treat uh, having you back on, Farnoosh. Thank you so much for for taking the time to appear once again. And I'm excited to see how this book is going to, uh, to impact the world. So I appreciate you being here. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you for having me on. Such a pleasure to speak to your listeners. Thank you. You know that thing I said at the beginning about helping you narrow your reading list? That was before. I knew Farnoosh was going to rattle off like six or so different books. But hey, they're all awesome. Find links to each of those she referenced and the other links and resources we talked about on the show notes page I've created just for this episode. That's at readtoleadpodcast.com slash 240 for episode 240. And while you're there, be sure to sign up for the free Read to Lead email newsletter. And just for signing up, you'll get a list of the top 12 books recommended by guests of the show over the years. You can also find a link there to our sponsor. That's Idagio. Don't forget that free 14 day trial. If you love classical music, then this is the app for you. Readtoleadpodcast.com slash classical to get 14 days free right now. Well, that does it for this week. I look forward to seeing you next time. Until then, remember, leaders read and readers lead. 
goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. 